Yes. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly biography show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into the commonalities of successful people and the ups and downs of risk-taking. Connect with Carrie through her candid, funny, informative, and always encouraging weekly blog. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Well, thank you, Gray. I appreciate that. I'm Tom Wood, not Carrie McCoy, although don't worry, everybody. She's here in the room. I'm usually one of those behind-the-scenes up-in-your-business staff. But today, I get to interview Carrie McCoy on her own program. And trust me, that doesn't happen very often, so this is going to be fun. As Carrie always starts the show, four decades of running a small business called Arkansas Flag and Banner. Now, of course, flagandbanner.com. During that time, Carrie McCoy decided to create this platform. She wanted to pay forward her experiential knowledge in a conversational way. This is a very listenable program. Originally, she thought she'd be the one teaching others, but it didn't take very long, and she realized, whoo, I'm learning a lot doing this show. And after listening to hundreds of successful people share their stories, some reoccurring traits started to pop up. For example, most guests believe in a higher power. They have the heart of a teacher. They're creative, because as I've heard Carrie say many times, business is creative. And of course, they all work hard. So we're going to find out some of the inspirations behind those things as we talk to Carrie McCoy today on Up In Your Business. But before I get started and introduce her to everybody, I want to let you know that if you miss any part of today's show or you want to hear it again or maybe share it with some family or friends, there's a way. And Carrie's son, Gray, is going to tell you how. All UIYB past and present interviews are available at Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy's YouTube channel. Facebook page, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette's digital version, flagandbanner.com's website, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just ask your smart speaker to play Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy. And by subscribing to our YouTube channel or flagandbanner.com's email list, you will receive prior notification of that day's guest. Back to you, Tom. Well, all of you regular up at your business with Carrie McCoy listeners are in for a treat on today's show. Uh, I'm the editor of this show and podcast, and I get to hear every single word you say every single week. And I got to tell you, Carrie's uh, flair with interviewing entrepreneurs and other people around the state, I think, is really fed by your natural curiosity. As I have edited shows, I've found you to be equally fascinated by bait fish farming, rocket scientists, politicians, brain surgeons, doesn't matter what it is, your natural curiosity comes to the top, and that's what makes a good interviewer. But this show is just a tiny little part of what uh, keeps Carrie McCoy occupied every day. Welcome to your own program. Thank you, Tom. This is very strange and very relaxing to be on this side. Mm -hmm. It's much easier to be the interviewee than to be the interviewer. So I'm excited to get to talk to you. I know you don't even need to put any questions together because I'll probably talk your ears off. You won't even get to ask anything. That's okay. I love an interview where you ask one question and 10 minutes later you ask another one. And since you're the editor on every one of my shows... I can say whatever I want because you can edit it out. Man, I never thought of that, but yes, you're right. frequently. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he takes out a lot of stuff. <laughs> well, let's start where you usually do. I want you to tell me a little bit about your parents, a little bit about your siblings, and where you were born, and the whole beginning of you Carrie. You know, I'm glad you asked that because I don't know if everybody knows this. My yeah. father is a Purple Heart recipient. Oh. He was shot down in World War II, actually twice. Yeah. Once he was shot down 
shot in the derriere, went to the medics, got the shrapnel taken out, then flew again and was shot down again and was captured by the Germans and was in prison war camp for two years. He did not, so here's the story of how he got shot down. So he leaves the base, I don't know what base it was, and he flies out on a mission and there's like, I don't know, 20 of their B-52s gonna go out bombers. He was a radio operator. He flies out and all of a sudden, none of the people are behind him and they're in a dogfight with a bunch of Germans. Oh my God. And they get shot down and they parachute out and he thinks, he can't he's in the back and he thinks he can't get out everybody's jumped and he can't get out so he somehow or another bangs out the back window and just jumps but it's not a good place to jump because if you jump there you can hit the propellers and get chopped up so he says goodbye to my mother says a little this is for you sally he says is what he says he says he jumps out the window and he gets captured by germans and they're marching across these farmers land and his crew members are pitchforked to trees by the farmers oh my god so he's so glad he's captured by germans yeah right because he's walking past his friends because the farmers were sympathetic to the nazi cause and so uh he gets captured and when he finally does come home two years later mother doesn't know who he is he's so thin he's lost his teeth Mm. she walks he walks right up to her and says hi and she doesn't even know who he is so He's sitting at home 50 years later watching the History Channel. He never knew where the rest of the guys were that were in his, uh, in his fleet with him and why there was just a couple of them out front and all the other ones were gone. And so he's watching the History Channel and he hears the story of why. That's unbelievable. So I show up at, at, at his house and he goes, oh, my God, I just found out what happened. He said, when we left, we were the first planes to leave off the runway. And right before we left, we found out that the Germans had found out about our mission. And so they radioed a call back to everybody. And we were the first few out were the out of radio range back then and never got the message. And the rest of them turned around and aborted the mission. But they never got the message. And they were sitting ducks. Yep. Oh, my God. And then it's becoming the end of World War II. And they're liberating all the prison camps and everything. And the Red Cross comes and lets all the prisoners out and has donuts and coffee. And these guys have not eaten in two years. Mm. He only ate turnips in the prison camp, which is why we could never eat them. We never wow. had turnips. I, I, was, I was 25 before yeah. I had a turnip. Uh, cabbage and turnips. Like, no, no cabbage, no turnip. <laughs> so when they let him out, these guys overate. Some of them died from overeating. Yeah. How hard was it to you for you to get him to tell you that story? I was probably 45 yeah. years old before he ever told us those stories. I could never get my dad to open up and tell me what he did during World War II. Never. Yeah. So that's a showstopper, don't you that's think? That's a show beginner, I'll tell you that. <laughs> wow. What about your mom? What about brothers and sisters? So mother, I love this about my mother. She always says, my mother was real fun, but she says, oh, we never slept with our guys till we married them. I said, mother... <laughs> You only saw Dad three times, and then you married him. Statistics, <laughs> statistical uh, chances you know, were like. She was like, I think I went out with Grady a few more times than three times before I married him and slept with him. It's like, I was like, you can't really compare those things. But it was some more time. So Mother goes to Washington. She was born in Batesville. My father was born in Pennsylvania. He's in Washington, you know, because it's wartime. My mother's from Batesville. She goes to Washington to work as a secretary or something. And I'm not sure how they met, maybe a blind date or something. And 
you know, fell in love, spent the first night, you know, staying up all night talking, and then he went off and did something, and then he came back a month later, and they spent another whole night staying up talking, and then he came back another time, and he was in Walla Walla, Washington, and she flew to Walla Walla, Washington, and married him with a cigar band for a ring. Oh, my God. You can't make that It's stuff. so no. World War II. I love it's it. It's so yeah. World War II. Yeah. I know. It really is. It's like a movie waiting mm-hmm. to be written. And, you know, Dad says, you know, we grew up in the Depression. You know, you went to work when you were 10 to feed your family, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, you didn't go to work for money. You went to work to feed your family. I worked in the bakery. I was a little 10 year, 12-year-old working in the bakery. And he said, you know, we wore shabby clothes. We all slept in the same beds, you know. He said, you know, when we joined the service, we got a bed to ourselves. We got clean clothes. We got three meals a day. He said, I don't know how you ever make that great generation again because joining the service back then was like a step up Mm -hmm. in your life, you know. And Americans have it so nice now, you know. Do I really want to go bunk up with a bunch of dudes when I have my own room and bathroom at the end of the hall? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I know exactly what you mean. And an interesting conversation with veterans is to uh, whether they agree with mandatory service, like so many countries around the Mm -hmm. world have. Okay, when I was young, I was like, no, because I was young. But now that I'm old, I'm like, yes, Mm -hmm. because there's too many people that don't have a vision of what they want to do or how they want to do. And they're just kind of aimlessly trying to figure it out. And so when you get in a group like that and you have organized routines, you begin to find out what you're good at. Right. And, and joining the service, it doesn't mean that you go into um, the war and Correct. you fight on the war. It just means you're service-oriented. Correct. You go help at hurricanes. You go feed the hungry. Speaking of being prepared for life after, uh, you know, you get out of your adolescence, I've heard you many times say you wish that high schools would teach more life skills, like learning how to budget uh, pay your taxes. Learning how to parent, learning how to pay your taxes, <laughs> yeah. and that that they just don't do that. They don't spend time on those kind of life skills in no, high school. No, my son-in-law didn't know you had to pay taxes. He's out there hanging <laughs> siding after school when he was a kid, and you know he didn't have any really parental guidance and so he's just never thinks about you have to pay your taxes and then you know two or three years later he gets a letter from the irs that says you've got penalties and interest up to 20 percent and he's like what are you talking about wow he didn't know yeah you're a big proponent of votech schools too as opposed to everybody thinking they have to go to college yes you had a very positive votech experience tell yes. me about that i'm not good in school i was not very good in school and i always joked that i was probably voted the least likely to succeed but i just want you to know that i went back to my 50-year reunion and i got to make the speech at my 50-year reunion and it was funny i killed it <laughs> and the other funny thing about not to brag uh-huh. but it's great if it's on youtube you should go watch it if you're my age and you've had your 50-year reunion you'll totally relate to all the funny things that were back then you know like uh girls that are my age will, re- re- will remember this we rolled our hair on orange juice cans Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, we had smoking holes. You could go and smoke at lunch in mm-hmm. your, you know, the boy-girl smoking hole. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> I, I don't think there's anything to compare to the challenge of teaching kids back then compared to today when it comes to cell phones. It's, I cannot stand to watch my darling da- granddaughter just live on her phone. She's going to have a hook in her neck or something. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Votex schools. you got to go to Votex schools. They're good. Oh, they're big. And so many jobs are available after you've gone through a Votex school. You can learn anything. I told every one of my children not to go to college, and they all went and got degrees. Wow. So if you want your kids <laughs> to not go to college, 
tell them to go, and they won't go. I told all of them, I said, for the, your college education, we could get you a, some real estate, a house. You could parlay it into another house, parlay it into another house, and you, by the time you're 30 years old, you'd have your nice little nest egg. Or you can go to college, learn how to drink, learn how to do nothing, <laughs> wear sloppy clothes, whoa, whoa. and with holes in them, uh, and not put on deodorant, and not cover your food in the microwave. And then when you get out, you'll have 20 years worth of debt. Sounds like she had a video camera on me from 71 to 75. So that's exactly the way. <laughs> Not right. <laughs> Tell me about the years that I hear you refer to a lot of times of waitressing and what kind of skills you learn when you waitress that you still use if today. If I could do any job, I would wait tables in Florida on the beach. Wow. It's just mindless and easy. Of course. I do hear mindless and easy. Easy is not what I think of when I think of waitressing. Waiting tables on a, in a tourist Running location. Running a small business is hard. Sure. Oh, I'm not saying it's not hard, and the comparing of the two is is not right and not what I mean. But I think waitressing is hard work. Shoot. Not really, huh? No. I'll go over. What do you want? Okay, let me go tell the cook. He makes it. All right, I'll bring it back to you. I, I, I mean, how's that hard? I would not tip you if you came up to my table and said, hey, what do you want? <laughs> I say that because I waited tables forever, right. cocktail tables and food tables forever while I was starting Arkansas Flag and Banner. And so I say that, but I hear today customers are awful. Oh, yeah. So it may not be the same mm-hmm. today as it was when I did it. We're going to take a quick break. Carrie McCoy is talking to us about her life and the way she, uh, well, we haven't even gotten to the way she started Flag and Banner, but we will get to that here after we take a quick break. I'm Tom Wood, and this week on Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, we're actually talking to Carrie McCoy. You're listening to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of flagandbanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, along with Carrie's experience and leadership knowledge. In 1995, she embraced the Internet and rebranded her company as simply flagandbanner.com. In 2004, she became an early blogger. Since then, she has founded the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom, began publishing her magazine, Brave, and in 2016, branched out into this very radio show, YouTube channel, and podcast. In 2020, Carrie McCoy Enterprises acquired OurCornerMarket.com, an online company specializing in American-made plaques, signage, and memorials for over 20 years, and more recently opened a satellite office in Miami, Florida, telling American-made stories, selling American-made flags, theflagandbanner.com. Back to you, Tom. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, and I am Tom Wood, usually the editor of the uh, show and the podcast, but I'm guest hosting the, the show this week because our guest is Carrie herself. Woohoo! It's fantastic. I'm telling you, her son Gray is with us as well, as he always is. Let me ask you about something that you're going to hear the word and you're going to think, oh, what is he asking me on this program? But it's interesting to find out people who work so hard and take care of themselves so well. Tell me about your body clock. <laughs> you are so right on. That is a weird question. Are you a late night person? No. Are you an early morning person? Yes. Tell me what a day I've is like for. I've been up since four. Well, that's exactly what I kind of thought. Uh huh. Now, Tell- when I was young, I stayed up all night, slept late, worked hard. It was the nineties. It was the nineties. <laughs> Work hard, 90s. play hard. Yeah. Yeah. When, yeah. when I was young, I stayed up late. 
I didn't get married seriously to my husband Grady till I was 32. I did marry once when I was 24, almost 25, but it wasn't a real marriage. Back then, if you got pregnant, you had to get married. My dad came over when I was about seven or eight months pregnant. My Purple Heart, World War II dad came over and said to my future husband, who is the son of a doctor, who he just loved, his parents, and said, RT, am I going to have to bring a shotgun over here to get you to marry my daughter? He was kidding him, kind of, but not really. Yeah. (laughs) And he was like, okay, okay. So, I'll tell you how I ended up getting married. You're not going to believe it. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm not doing anything. And my girlfriend, who lives down the street, God love her, she calls me up. She says, there is a preacher here in my retail store who just came by to visit with me. He's a friend of mine. And if he says, if you come up here, he'll marry you and sign the wedding certificate. <laughs> wow. So her retail store is a bridal shop. She sells recycled bridal clothes. So I run up there in a bright orange pregnant moo dress my husband's in his waiter uniform he's about to go to work we run up there her preacher man says yes i have the power to marry you he writes he doesn't have his bible with him so he writes down a few notes on it that i still have that i gave to my daughter it was was a it was a girl and so um he writes a few notes down and we stand together in her around all her bridal gowns in her store and there's and there's customers walking around out in the front of the lobby going, I think somebody's getting married back there. No. <laughs> so, I did not he, know this story. He did not. Mm. And he goes, do you say I do? And I say I do. And he said, okay, right. And I kissed him and he left and went to work and I went home. And, I, and The guy signed your certificate. The guy yeah. signed my wedding. My, my, and I got married. Yeah. All so, the customers are saying, this is the greatest bridal shop I've yeah. ever been to. <laughs> <laughs> they must be so inspired. <laughs> wow. Yeah, well, that's quite a story. I know. Uh, when did this lifestyle of yours that was oh, so crazy change? Well, when I was pregnant with my daughter. I mean, I was partying with my, you know, I was waiting tables as a cocktail waitress, starting my business, um, um, you know, dating. It was the late 70s, you know. I didn't know the ramifications of everything that you do. You know, you're young. I'm sure. 22 years old. I don't know what's going on. We're just partying and having a good time. and. And then you get pregnant, and then you find out having babies is really hard. I am so lucky to have had the great parents that I have because they just supported me and helped me. And there was no Internet back then, so I had no idea how to raise a child. I was the youngest of three. I mean, I think my daughter ate hamburger meat in the first six weeks i didn't know that you don't feed babies food i was like why does she cry all the time and mother's like maybe she's hungry make her a meatloaf and i'm like away hey, let's make a meatloaf <laughs> i mean i mean i had no idea and the major book back then is dr spock right and his kids say he was the worst father ever and he was the bible of baby books i had that book and i'd read it and they were like don't pick your baby up let your baby cry mm-hmm. don't sleep with your baby you know just all these bizarre bizarre things you know i mean i ended up having four kids so i got to practice a lot and i got a lot better at it but god love you megan for having to live with your crazy mother i learned on her you know we you know what we call her mm-hmm. what is it the burnt pancake you know <laughs> right. you know right. you throw the first one out right <laughs> she, like, she hates it when we say that so i just had to say it on the radio megan because you hate it so much and actually i will tell you this she is absolutely my best friend we talk all the time, every day. She so. works at the flag shop. Oh, yeah. yeah. I see her all the time. Oh, my gosh. I know. She's forgiven me for a lot of 
practicing on her. I practiced mm-hmm. on her. It's Until like, you dredged up all this horror again for her on the radio, and now it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, we're back. <laughs> well, let's go from all of that craziness. How in the world you turned out this good? I have no idea. <laughs> Parenting. My parents were great. Well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, after all those routing of your crazy life, mm-hmm. then you end up finally becoming a business person in downtown Little Rock, but you were in North Little Rock for a while. You are working out of your... Uh, car selling flags? Yes. So even during all of that, I was ambitious. Mm -hmm. So unlike today, everybody was equal. The doctor in the neighborhood, you know, lived four houses down from us. A little bit nicer, but not a mansion in Chennault. Mm -hmm. Uh, The preacher, the Methodist preacher lived on the same street. You know, our family lived there. We were all very middle class. And middle class back then was... Not frivolous at all. Everybody's very conscientious, and you know they're all World War II Depression people, so they're they're very conscientious. So mother was going to save money in case something happened, and do without so I could have something. Mm. I think that really instills in you and in all of her three children to work hard so that your mother didn't have to not have a new pair of shoes or not get the new coat she wanted or, you know we. Something like that. So I think we were all very ambitious from an early age. So when I went to a Votech school. I was wonderful at a Votech school. Yeah. It moves really slow. You do all the homework in class. You don't go, okay, go home and read that and come back and tell me about it. I can't do that. But I can read it in class, and I can be taught a different way. And so by the time you get through a Votech school and you end up being great at it, and then you come back, you're just ambitious. So I will say this, though. When I graduated from that Votech school, I thought I was going to go into fashion merchandising because I love clothes. If anybody ever knows me, they know that I am a, what do they call them, clothes horse. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you, if I had a vice, which I have vices, but it is probably vanity. I love clothes and makeup and hair mm-hmm. and fingernails. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can confirm. Can confirm. <laughs> so, so I went to school for that because my mother comes in. Out of, out of, so I tried to go to college, failed at college. Three three months in there, working as hard as I could. D's. I was like, I came home to tell between my legs. One of the most depressing times of my life. Just like they always say, it's in the dark, the darkest right before the dawn. And my mother comes in because I had seventeen magazines all up close, and she comes in and she. Oak goes to the back and she says, honey, there's an ad in the back here for Miss Wade's Fashion Merchandising School. And you know you love clothes. You wear hats. You're, you know, <laughs> so many Who does that? I mean, right. Yeah, right. You wear hats all the time, crazy hats all the time. Mm-hmm. And she says, it's a one-year Votech school. Why don't you go there? And I first thought, another school? Oh, my God. Really? But they ponied up the money. And they sent me off to this Votech school. And the first week there, I called my boyfriend back home, and I started crying. I really never had boyfriends at all, but I did happen to have one at this time. And I called him at home, and I said, I can't do this. I'm so homesick. I'm crying. I'm at a phone booth because that's what you had to do back then. He said, you need to stay. My mother said, you need to stay. I was like, I don't want to stay. <laughs> I stayed, and at the end of the year, I was one of the best in the class. Best decision you ever made. Yes. Hardest and best thing I ever did. It's exactly like your parents keep telling you. It's just really hard. You just have to do it. But then I graduate in 1974. So I graduate high school in 72. I graduate from Miss Wade's Votech School in 74. When did we have the gas crisis with Jimmy Carter with the lines around the service stations? Mid-70s? 1974. Yeah. I couldn't get a job in my industry because what do you give up? Buying clothes and eating out. 
Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't get a job in my industry at all. So I got a job selling flags for a company called Betsy Ross Flag Girls because I had to have a job. Sure. I wasn't going to go home. I have never not worked since I was 15. I mean, I worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken. I worked at Park Hill Theater. I mean, you just work. And so, um, so I got this job with Betsy Ross Flag Girls, and I worked there six months. And my roommate, you know, she left, and everybody was leaving, and I was left alone. I didn't have any friends left in Dallas, no boyfriend. And my mother said, my mother, she's smart. She said, I wonder who's selling flags in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I said, I don't know. She said, well, why don't you make some phone calls and find out? So she taught me to use the phone. She said, call the Secretary of State to find out who they buy from. Well, they bought from somebody in California. She said, call these people and ask them. So I called them. They said, well, we buy from somebody in Mississippi. And then she said, and this is funny because I know this woman's grandkids. They live down the street from me. She said, call the only entrepreneur woman that I can think of in North Little Rock, Irma Dumas Dress Shop. It mm. was like the best dress shop in North Little Rock. We could never buy clothes there. We sewed all of our clothes. Back then, a lot of people sewed. We sewed all of our clothes. Mother said, call Irma Dumas and ask her how you start in business. And I can remember to this day standing there calling her, my knees shaking, and I told her how I was. She didn't know who I was. And I said, thinking about starting a flag company tell me about owning your own business and she i could not tell you what she said to this day but it was encouraging i don't know mother said okay you you you've done everything right you've done your market research you've done your market uh-huh. research yeah. you've 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 showed your willingness to face your fears uh she said it takes 50 dollars to start a business and today it takes 150 dollars people if you want to start a business it takes 150 dollars you got to go buy a city permit for $150, and that's it. Back then, it took $50. Hmm. She said, good. She took me down. We got a city permit. You get a tax ID number. She said, you pick out a name. And I said, I'm going to be available, flag and banner company, because flags were hard to find and not very available. And she said, honey, my daughter's not going to be available anything. <laughs> <laughs> she said, how about Arkansas? I said, okay. That's awesome. That's so funny. It would never have I occurred to me to, to protest the available. Uh-huh. It just didn't pop into my head, but a mom would. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah, she, uh, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just reflecting after all of this, and um, Mimi was the impetus of so much of the things, that, of the decisions that you made. My mother, yeah. when she got old and got to where she um, could no longer hear, uh-huh. so we quit being able to talk, that's when... I really began to miss her input, mm-hmm. and you know, I I called. And then you kind of like don't re- realize it's gone until it's gone. I called yeah. her all every, just like Megan calls me all oh, the time. Yeah. I called her all the time. Said, "This is what happened at work today," and we would talk, <laughs> you know, and we would talk yeah, to right. it. And she always, you know, mm-hmm. uh, my mother literally suffers from uh, what's that? What's that fear where you can't go out of your house? Agoraphobia. Agoraphobia. And it's fear of, it's fear of crowds is what it is. My uh. mother seriously <clears throat> suffers from agoraphobia. Yeah. Um, she was very introverted. She was very introverted. She could stay at home forever and never leave. And one time she stayed at home for a solid year when she broke her ankle. Mm, uh, in her 80s. Or 70s. 70s. And, uh, <laughs> and dad would bring her her food and she'd get so mad because he'd forget to turn the tray around. And when he'd hand it to her, she'd have to turn that. She'd set the mat. <laughs> Set the drink on the other side of the tray. I said, Mother, do you hear how <laughs> he always brings that tray on the wrong way, facing the wrong way. I'm like, Mom, wow. wait. Yeah, you need to get out of the house. So she, she ended up uh, having to take medicine to get out of the house mm-hmm. and for that episode because it was so bad. But the funny thing about my mother is she never really worked much or anything. 
Uh, but once I hit junior high, because I was the last child to leave, she was like, well, I need to go do something. And she joined that Kelly Girls where you go out and you work part-time jobs oh, for yeah. people. You know, back when they used to have that service. She joined Kelly Girls and she kept getting these part-time positions. Like some woman would go on maternity leave and she'd fill her spot. My mother would be scared mm. to death. She has not worked since she met my father in Washington. She's been raising children for 15 years. And she's got agoraphobia a little bit and she's gonna face her fears and go and do these things and that really speaks to the example your parents make for you about facing fear and handling stuff you know they were shining examples of how to be and the odd thing is she went to work at the democratic party and the girl was going to go and leave. And the woman never came back. And my mother ended up being the secretary for the Democratic Party of Arkansas. Wow. What? <laughs> during the heyday, Jim Guy Tucker, Bill Clinton, during its heyday, yeah. when it yep. was, you know, big time stuff. If you'd have told her that was going to happen to her 10 years before, she'd been like, there's no way. I mean, she's on the phone as a secretary coordinating things with people for the Democratic Party of Arkansas. My mother. So the Betsy Ross thing was door-to-door. I was door-to-door for five years. When my daughter was born, I moved it into my house, and it was, uh, and we did it telephone sales. Oh, yeah. Because they deregulated the telephone system, and Ma Bell was being deregulated, so phones got cheap, and you could put them in your house. And so I, had, uh, I, bought, um, I bought an 800 number back then, and it called the seven states around Arkansas. There are seven states that touch Arkansas. Did y'all know that? Six states touch Arkansas. I was going to say, uh, yeah, yeah, There yeah, are yeah. six uh-huh. states. I didn't know that. So when you bought 800 numbers, you bought them in rings, and they got more expensive as they go out. Oh, uh, okay. And so I bought the first ring I could afford and then advertised in the Yellow Pages in all of those places. It was like a huge marketing gamble, like the first one I ever did, you know, and um, and it paid off. You wow. Know? Sure did. And then came out the Lillian Vernon catalog. Does anybody remember those? I do remember those. Well, all of a sudden, Lillian Vernon has changed everything because data started becoming uh, axiom and all of that. People started learning about data and the power of data and mail order started becoming a big thing. And I kept getting these Lillian Vernon catalogs in the mail. And I said, well, I'm going to start mailing catalogs. So I ended up making a catalog and went to from telemarketing to catalog sales. And in 1995, I was at UALR doing one of their business seminars that they do, which I think everybody should do if you ever get a chance to do anything. They're small business development center. They're just a wealth of information if you're starting off, teach how to read income statements and financial statements and stuff. And I'm at one of those seminars, and I'm sitting at a round table with this girl, and they're talking about this newfangled thing called the Internet. Mm-hmm. It's 1995. And that just happens to be at my round table is Marla Johnson, the head of Aristotle. Oh, God. Perfect. <laughs> so I've become friends with Marla. And she says, we can't call you Arkansas Flag and Banner. That's too much to type for an URL uh, address, an Internet URL, address. yeah. Yeah. So she says, how about flag dash banner so marla's very first flag and banner.com was flag dash banner.com and then when i talk on the phone i'd go flag dash banner everybody's like d-a-s-h i was like oh yeah. no that's no good yeah. so i called up marla and she bought me flag and banner but we probably still have flag dash banner.com we do well the, the growth from that 
pattern that you just described, <laughs> and then finally the Internet, and then finally the realization, I'm going to take a break here, and we'll come back and find out how this all happened. But you realized, my God, I need more space. What's this old building in downtown Little Rock? And next up on the show, the acquisition of Taborian Hall from Kerry McCoy. You're listening to Up In Your Business, and we will be back uh, after a short break. Let's talk about the biggest fundraiser that happens every year for the Dreamland Ballroom upstairs at Taborian Hall, the home of flagandbanner.com. And the next event has been set Saturday, February 11th. Tickets are already on sale at dreamlandballroom.org. Make sure you buy yours early. Get a table so you're right up front. And if you're interested in sponsoring Dancing into Dreamland, you can contact the director of the event, Matthew McCoy, right there at flagandbanner.com and ask him about sponsorship opportunities. Also, one more thing, volunteers are needed. The Friends of Dreamland need plenty of help setting up and running and even breaking down the event afterwards. Again, Matthew McCoy can help you if you're interested in volunteer opportunities. But for sure, buy some tickets for Dreamland Ballrooms Dancing into Dreamland, February 11th, 2023. You're back with uh, Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, although I'm Tom Woods sitting in as a guest host this week because we're actually interviewing Carrie herself, and we've learned a lot about the early years, a lot about influences, a lot about things that uh, you uh, have, have have incorporated into your business life now, and I want to jump into Taborian Hall right now, which when that building was downtown, it was not in great shape when you bought it, was it? No. In fact, uh, my husband was working at, for Cruising Associates, and they were on the top of the Union Bank building, very top floor, and they could look down, and they could look right through the roof of my Taborian Hall out their window. And we, at the time, were in uh, one of our – was it was De- it, I think it was Desert, Desert Storm. Storm? I think we were in Desert Storm. And so there had been some stuff on the TV about they'd bombed the Baghdad Hotel, and all of my husband's – bond daddy friends up there would say look your wife just bought the Baghdad hotel down there because it was just bombed out looking but uh you know homeless people had lived in it and had built fires in it and in the and it had uh, weakened the trusses in the roof and we'd had a big snow like the year before and it was heavy on the roof and it had fallen through this enormous truss made out of trees that you can't even find anymore you know these 12 by 12 um, logs that were made up the trusses it had fallen through and fallen through two floors and pushed out the side of the of the brick building but i didn't really see all of that because i'm not an engineer i mean i could see that the that the, i could see what had happened to it it's damaged but i don't i think if i was older and knew what i know today i would be intimidated mm-hmm. and i think that's true about every single thing i've done in life and i've known how hard this radio show was i might not have started it either i got it i understand <laughs> Yeah. You know, if I'd have known how hard Flag and Manor was, I might not have started mm-hmm. it either. But, you know, you just do things, you know, you're just driven to do things. You just have to listen to life and kind of go where they take you. So, listening to life, I am uh, living in Little Rock. I drive down the 630 freeway every day to go to my office in North Little Rock because Flag and Banner is now in a cottage, an 1890 house in North Little Rock on Main Street. Mm-hmm. Again, that my mother owned and was letting me have rent free for a few years because the insurance on it was so expensive being vacant she said if you'll live in it i won't have to pay that expensive insurance interesting Mm -hmm. and i painted it for and was a good was a good tenant so i had moved myself in there because i put my daughter in little st pat's that was right down the street and so she could just i could walk down there and pick her up and bring her back home and it was just worked everything worked out again again family support so i'm driving across to north little rock every day 
and uh, I'm always driving down the 630 freeway, and over to the left, just past the Capitol, is this just stately red brick three-story building with columns that I just look at every day, and I just think, it looks like a big bank, and I, it just draws me in. And uh, somehow or another, I find out that it's for sale, that it's got liens and back taxes on it, and it's up for sale. And Mark Abernathy, who I interviewed on the show, had bought it for a couple of thousand dollars at an auction or something, and then it couldn't figure out what to do with it. Because, mm. I mean, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. You know? And so I went to him, and I said, can I buy it? And he said, yeah. And he, he charged me $20,000. I think he only paid 2000 for it. <laughs> <laughs> but most people are like, 20 you bought that building for $20,000? Well, that seemed like a lot. I remember that I went home and told my father-in-law, and he was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, Look at that building. What are you doing? You know. And then I went and told my parents, and they were like, that doesn't seem smart. And I'm sure my mother went and talked to my dad or something because, I mean, I just got, I just could not leave it alone. And finally, my dad came over one day, and he brings over a $20,000 check, which is unbelievable that my parents had a $20,000 check. But finally late in life they started to kind of get some money after the kids were gone and so they brought over a check for twenty thousand dollars and i'll never forget i came on the back porch goes come out here and i went out on the back porch of the office and he said i got this for you here's your here's your money and he handed me this check and i looked at it It was twenty thousand dollars and when he handed it to me did it like this over his shoulder and looked away from me went well i'll never see that again (laughs) stormed off (laughs) 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 and i said dad i promise you'll see it again (laughs) (laughs) he's walking away and you're making promises (laughs) (laughs) and uh and i didn't think he would because i think that was summertime and it went from renovation of being a hundred thousand to 150,000 and Worthen Bank was going to loan me the 100,000 when it went to 150,000 they were like uh, no ma'am we're out it's no it's 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 November it's right before Thanksgiving and in Arkansas in November it rains it's raining in that oh. big hole in that building I'm not sleeping at night uh, I'm thinking I'm going to lose dad's $20,000 what am I going to do I'm just ma- manic and I just walk into Twin City Bank it was called Twin City Bank back then in North Little Rock and I walk in and I said I need to see a loan officer and she says alright so I walk in and he said Ed's standing there Ed doesn't talk he's like a sphinx he doesn't talk Ooh. even after I got to know him for 20 years later he doesn't talk <laughs> he's been Ed Owens he's been there forever he's That's like a VP yeah. now you know mm-hmm. but he's just he's just one of those guys that don't talk so I walk in his room and I, and I said hello I'm Carrie and I bought this building and I walk back and forth in front of his desk, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Rant, 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 rant. What I've done. Ranting and pacing. Ranting and pacing. <laughs> what I've done. What I've got to do. What's going to happen. I've got to have this money. Blah, 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 blah. He, neither one of us ever sit down. He goes, okay, I'll call you in a little while. Give me your card. And so I left. The next day, he calls me and says, I'll give you the money. I took it to committee. They had just deregulated banks, and we're going to start letting banks cross over into other cities. Back then, banks couldn't be in other cities to stop what's going on now, conglomerates. Yes. So you couldn't – they just deregulated banks, and Twin City Bank in North Little Rock wanted to go into Little Rock, and they wanted to put a sign on the 630 freeway on my building and say, funded by Twin City Bank, and they may, took a risk with me. And wow. Timing was perfect, and you didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. So we broke ground. Thanksgiving weekend, and I'll never forget this. So you had to pull the old roof off to put the new roof on, and when you pull old roofs off of old buildings, they could fall to the ground, especially if you're missing the third floor like this one was. I have two guys up there. One of them has four 
teenage children, young and teenage children, and he's walking around the edge of that. They're tying ropes with cranes 400 feet in the air. They're walking on the edge of that building, and they're pulling sheets of that roof off on Thanksgiving weekend, and I'm thinking, these guys could die up there. Mm -hmm. What am I doing? (laughs) Why am I doing this? I'm telling you, I I look back, again, naivety. I mean, if I had thought about it, I'd have been like, no, don't go up there. Don't do that. That's just dangerous. Mm -hmm. Right. But they did. They pulled the roof off. We put it on. And so the process of getting that building back into shape, give me a year's. uh, So the first year we moved in, we just put a roof on it and got into the first floor only that was all we could do we couldn't even have heat we had space heaters with every every week we had to bring in um uh, propane and put it in these space heaters and we stood around space heaters in the winter and then the phone would ring we'd run over and answer the phone then we'd go back and stand around space heaters i mean that's how slow life was before the internet yeah i mean i think they just invented fax machines you know which we thought was like a revelation (laughs) and i always said for listeners that don't know, on the third floor of the dream, of the Taborian Hall is the Dreamland Ballroom. Before I bought the building, when I first started becoming obsessed with it, I was pregnant with son Matthew, who is now the executive director of the Friends of Dreamland Ballroom. And I would sneak down there, and I would go in the front door, and I'd yell to see if there were any homeless people in there. Hello? And sometimes there were, and I'd run off. And sometimes there weren't, and I'd sneak through, and I could. It took a, it took several visits to make it up to the third floor. You know, I'd look at the first floor, and then I'd say, okay, and then I'd go to the second floor, and you couldn't really walk around up there because the big truss had fallen through. And then there were two sets of stairs, and one stair was completely blocked, and then I found another one, and you could kind of crawl under some debris where the roof had fallen in, and it made this kind of channel, this little hallway, and I crouched down and I crawled through there and when I came out and turned around and looked back at the Dreamland Ballroom stage and the whole box seats and everything I'm telling you Tom it was a spiritual experience the roof was off the birds were flying around the sun was shining in I'm pregnant nesting like you wouldn't believe I guess I don't know (laughs) and uh, I mean it was just gorgeous and that's when i became just manic about i had to have it and and you know to this day people can walk up there and some people still get that spiritual feeling from Mm -hmm. it i can completely understand the epiphany you had when you looked around though and you saw it because the history of that place is just one of the really startling stories about downtown little rock i had no idea Mm. i had no idea why that building spoke to me so much but it sure did and after we got in we're standing around those heaters on the first floor these old timers would come up these old black men would come up and they'd they'd look through the window and put their hands over their eyes and then try to look through the window and look in there and if what i'd see them i'd run out there onto the front sidewalk and say hey they go who are you what'd you do i tell them what i did and they go oh oh i used to and they tell me stories and i began to learn all about the history and my favorite old man that used to come down well there was two there was leon majors he just died a couple years ago and then there was uh mac honeycutt and mac honeycutt had the honeycutt hotel and his brother had the confection which is what they called bakeries and max honeycutt had a gold M and a gold H on his two front feet. <laughs> oh, that's right. I, I loved it. Wow. So much. And I said, give me some pictures from when you were back here. And he said, my house burned down. I'm living with my sister. I don't have one picture when I used to be back here. But I did manage to hire a historian, Berna Love, who did end up writing a book about it. And we did end up getting a lot of interviews. And we ended up giving all those interviews and all the history and all the work that we did together to uh, the PBS 
and they ended up making the documentary. So we did save a lot of it, but a lot of the old guys had already passed on. There's so much about that place that uh, just makes you realize what a difference our city was in 1945, right after the war, to now, and the way that entire circuit of entertainment, all through the Midwest, down to the South, down to New Orleans, we were a huge part of that, and it's Dreamland Ballroom, where all those entertainers played. You're talking about the Chitlin Circus. Mm -hmm. You're talking about the Chitlin Circus, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And, you know, I learned so much about black history. I did not know that... Uh, in I think it was the, the turn of the century. It was 1890 or 1910 that we had more black senators in Congress than we've ever had. Mm-hmm. I think Did you know that? I, I think I learned that in that PBS documentary. Yes, and see, people don't realize that Little Rock used to be called uh, the prosperous city, and the blacks used to be called the prosperous people in the newspaper. The prosperous people. Ninth Street was just hugely prosperous and completely self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. Banks, doctors, everything that you needed. Mm -hmm. And when you talk to uh, those old timers, they were like, oh, I had a good business till desegregation. Hmm. It was like Walmart kind of came to town. And every one of their customers started shopping in other stores because they could and the prices were probably cheaper. Just like we've done in all these small communities. Walmart comes to town. We bankrupt the small Mm -hmm. five and dime stores. You know, it's, it's progress. But they the had expensive a group of people. But yeah. It, yeah, it just really ended up bankrupting all of Ninth Street. I think a Dubison Funeral Home is the only black business left from before oh. the 1960s. I think it's over on 12th or something. But every every black business ended up getting bankrupt. Well, the white people didn't shop in the black businesses, mm. and when the black people left, no market left. No market left. Yep, customer base gone. Mm-hmm. That's it. Can't do business. So, I mean, no no one could have predicted that though. You know. Were uh, politicians in the city and so on, were they appreciative that somebody, you, had taken on this task? The mayor was. Uh, really? Oh, yeah. He said, oh, this white elephant has been driving me nuts. I, it needs to be torn down because there's homeless people there, but it's got all this history with yeah. it. And everybody, I'm getting all this you know, flack from these history people. He said, I got another building. You want to buy it, too? You trying to get me to buy another one? <laughs> oh, yeah. What was it? It was the Mosaic Templar. Oh, that was oh, wow. He was yeah, like, yeah. can you buy the Mosaic Templar? Mm-hmm. I said, I've already looked at the Mosaic Templar. I want my building. Mm-hmm. So now for people who've never been there, you've got the retail outlet on the on the main floor. Mm-hmm. You've got offices and administration kind of and sales mm-hmm. on the second floor and then Dreamland Ballroom mm-hmm. up on top. I always thought since I bought it and started all of that around the early around 1990, 91. So I always thought by 2000, we'd have the Dreamland Ballroom up and running. I had no idea that business would change so much from 1990 to 2000. So in 2000, the Internet is really starting to finally, you know, what's well, not completely taken off, but, but people aren't, but businesses are making money 24-7. Yes. Business that can only make money four weekends out of the year is not a viable business. Mm. And construction, uh, construction materials and people are expensive. So to renovate the Dreamland Ballroom, I would have to have a million dollars. And I would never be able to pay the note back with with four weekends out of the month. Yep. So we turned it into a nonprofit called Friends of Dreamland. And we were able to get grants from the National Park Service to make it ADA acceptable. We've now got an elevator. It's only been working about six months. We got a handicapped bathroom about three months ago. We're slowly getting it to where it can be used and not have to pay this million-dollar note payment back. Now, I did have offers to turn it to apartments. Oh, wow. To turn to restaurants. 
And if I really was this good businesswoman that everybody says I am, I would have done that. Mm-hmm. But I just could not do it. I just could not do it. That's to our benefit, I think, as a city. In the long run, yeah. yes, but probably not to my bank account. I mean, it's like a hole. <laughs> what's, that, what's that song where there's a hole in Daddy's arm where all the money goes? There's a hole in, there's a hole in, my, in my building where all my money goes. <laughs> well, in thinking of that, what in the world inspires you or makes you confident about buying more businesses? All of a sudden, in the last couple of three years, our corner market is part of the flag and banner family. Then another satellite location in Miami, Florida. This is some very strong action. Smart, smart action. Smart and strong action. So what? We went from door-to-door sales to yeah. gas prices got too high. Then they deregulated the telephone. So we went to telephone marketing. Then they began to use data in a clever way we went to catalog sales then i hear about the internet at ualr we're like we got to we got to get on that gravy train yep which almost bankrupted me because nobody was ready to put their credit cards in there as early as i wanted them to start and nobody was really ready to use it but when 9-11 happened i started selling more flags on the internet people suddenly got over their fear of putting their credit card on and it's been going great ever since so then you know google starts and I start with Google. I was such an early customer with them. They used to send me Christmas presents. I have a Google, oh have a Google beach towel. I the have a Google fridge. refrigerator. Uh-huh. It's a Google-branded mini-fridge that lives in the hallway at Flag & Banner. Wow. It doesn't work worth crap. No, but it's adorable. Google has gotten so mammoth. We spend so much money on Google advertising. But you have to. They've got you over a barrel. So we do that, and every time we go to our marketing meeting, which, by the way, we have a marketing meeting every week, which is really just a game show almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've can, been in a couple. Can confirm. <laughs> have yeah. you been in some of them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Well, they're, they're not any better, Tom. Uh, so just more people, more fun. More people, more fun. Arkansas Flag and Banner grows 10% every year. 10% of $4 million is $400,000. I'll be a 90, I'll be dead before I hit 10 million in sales. <laughs> and so when COVID st- happened, all these little mom and pops who never made these big internet commitments like me, that work out of their home like I used to, and that have made a fine little living, but they can't sell their business because the business is just them. Yes, I see. You know? And so I thought, well, we'll try and buy a couple of them. So we have today, since COVID, bought two flag companies and then another flag company, our corner market. Mm -hmm. So we've bought three and on all different prices and all different kinds. We're kind of learning about acquisition and how to do it. And that is a great way to grow your business exponentially in one year. It's the answer to that problem you thought you had of only 10% growth. Now suddenly you've got all these other avenues. Mm I wondered to myself where the confidence came to do that. Well, we didn't have it. We almost talked ourselves out of it. How many times, Sun Gray? Many. Many, many, but many. But you know me. I'm listening. Uh, gotta go, gotta go, gotta, gotta go. Gotta go, gotta get it done. Gotta well, and get it's, it done. With, yeah. the, with the young half of the family 
working in flagandbanner.com, you've got a long future ahead of you to continue to do this. Yes, I would not be doing this if I didn't have three of my four children working in the flag business right. who are owners and who are doing a great job and who give confidence to everybody that works down there. Because if my husband and I are, you know, 60 years old and if, if, if they're like, well, I should get off this going down ship if they're going to retire, what's going to happen to me? But now they don't have to worry about that. They've got a whole nother generation of people that are doing a good job of running the company. Well, we're running out of time, and I All wanted right. to spend just a couple of minutes talking to you about how you do this show week to week and how impressive your research is and how you've improved as an interviewer and how your natural curiosity is just so inspiring when I listen to these shows. Because honest to God, as an editor of a, of a program, I hear every word of every show. And, I'm sorry. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't tell you the last time I've edited a show, because I do a lot of the work at home, that I haven't stopped along the way and said, Wendy, you know what I just learned? <laughs> <laughs> That's the same way I feel when I'm learning about my guests. Yes. I learn. I have to go oh, and yeah. do two or three days worth of work, and then I come in and I bore the marketing department. I go, do you know that this guy, <laughs> know. you know, I feel like I'm in college. Mm-hmm. Well, or we're just having like a guest lecture series every other week you know it's fantastic yeah, it, it is i've learned so many things just editing this program every week oh, thanks tom that's kind of a goal and i think one of the one of the best uh qualities you have as an interviewer is the vulnerability of not being afraid to say i don't know what that is tell me what that is mm-hmm. when they say something that doesn't register or surprises you because i guarantee you 50 percent of your listeners are saying the same thing i don't mm-hmm. know what that is mm-hmm. and then you ask the question <laughs> and it's the perfect wrap-up I've always said, everybody around me, I am not particularly smart. I am just ambitious. Gray over here is crazy smart. Look at the size of his brain. Look that at his is, head. Excuse me. <laughs> he's, got, he, he's got a big head and a big brain. He's always been smart. He can absorb and retain. I can ask him stuff. and he. You can tell when he talks he's smart. I am not particularly smart, but I am ambitious. Well, and you're a pleasure to listen to every week on this show, Thank too. Thank you, Tom. You I really enjoy are. you. You do a great job of editing. I That's wish true. people could hear how bad I really am. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stuttering and things we do every week. I hope you enjoyed this this uh, experience. Who doesn't love talking about themselves? Well, there you go. That's what I figured we were in for. All right. Love it. Thanks for being, uh, being here to do this. Thank you, Tom, for being game for everything I bring up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's fun. I, I enjoy doing it. In closing, everybody, of uh, the Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy show, always Carrie wants to spend time with you. She always hopes that you learned something. She always hopes that you're enlightened by it and that it inspires your business, your independence, and your life. Carrie McCoy will be back again next week as the host of the program it's up in your business with carrie mccoy until next week uh, you want to say how you how you end the show be brave and keep it up that's perfect thanks you've been listening to up in your business with carrie mccoy for links to resources you heard discussed on today's show go to flagandbanner.com, select radio show and choose today's guest if you'd like to sponsor this show or any show email me gray at g-r-a-y at flag all interviews are recorded and posted the following week Stay informed of exciting, upcoming guests by subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcast wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream.